Welcome to the Mar Experience. My name is Matt Shedd. Over 30 years ago, Richard S. was a client at Mar. After finishing his time here, he met his soon-to-be wife, Kathy, through the recovery community. Like many of our alumni, he had stayed in touch with the people at Mar, and members of the staff attended Kathy and Richard's wedding, with one of the Mar counselors even presiding over the ceremony. Several years into their marriage, however, after having three kids, Kathy relapsed. Meanwhile, Richard was also discovering he needed help of his own. The couple then found themselves coming to Mar in a very different capacity. We invited them to the podcast to talk about the various stages of their recovery and how Mar helped them through a significant crisis in their marriage. Why don't don't we just start with uh, introductions? So... Uh, when you want to go first, Kathy. Okay. Just, yeah. Yeah. My name is Kathy Shellman, and I'm a Mar alum, class of 2005. I came in in December of 2005 and stayed for seven months. Went to halfway and three quarters, and I continue to be active in Mar and as a volunteer in the professionals program on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings. And what about you, Richard? Richard Shellman, Mar alum from 1987, and uh, continue to volunteer and stay active in AA. Okay, great, great. And so, yeah, it's a, and and you were the first one of the two of you, right, to be to come in contact with Mars, right? right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit about that. What was going on when you when you came across Mars? Okay, so my brother entered treatment first in 1986, and uh, and encouraged me to take the test. And uh, of course, the test was quitting drinking for a month, and I failed that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me to, uh, to attend a Mar group. So I was going to a few AA meetings and going to a Mar spiritual life group. And, uh, during that six months of sobriety got more and more honest and they encouraged me to go, uh, to three quarter way house. So I went straight from my house to three quarter way house mm-hmm. without going through treatment in a halfway house, but they'd known me for six months. At okay. That point. I see. They made an exception and my case, and I'm really grateful they did. Was there anything particular about the setup here that kind of kind of stands out as something that helped you in a particular way? Absolutely. Um, there was a baseline of kindness, but um, probing that uh, was initially very uncomfortable, but I came to embrace. Yeah. And uh, I I was encouraged to be open, and it felt like a safe environment to for the first time in my life, risk telling the truth and hearing the truth. And you think that was because of the other clients here or the counselors or? I think it was the staff. Yeah. And the the whole setup was one of uh, we're going to speak the truth here and we're not going to keep secrets. And so um, the relationships that I had with the the staff members, I felt like was, was um, a huge thing for me and encourage me to um, to confront other people in my community mm-hmm. when I felt like that was appropriate. And it was a very encouraging relationships that they that I had with the, the staff members. And mm-hmm. I, I grew close to each one of them in a different way, especially Boyd and, and uh, Whaley and Doug Brush. Okay. And so that was 80, 88? I went into, 80, I, I entered uh, Mar in 87. 87. Yeah. Okay. And then, so what's going on with you at this point, Kathy, when he's in Mar in 87? Well, I got sober in Ohio in 1988. Okay. 
And I was encouraged to come to Atlanta to a professional's program because I was a nurse and I had gotten caught stealing drugs at the hospital where I worked. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going mm-hmm. to Atlanta. I don't know anybody there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've been here ever since. Uh-huh. Um, and when I came down here, it was not through Mar, but it was from a halfway house that was run at that time by Gary Dyes, who used oh, right. to be CEO here at Mar. Uh, run by Gary Dyes out of Charter Peachford Hospital. Okay. And I stayed a year in halfway and three quarters in that program. And then when I got out, we moved. I moved over to Marietta, which is where I met Richard. And we then got married in 1990. And I was sober for 13 years mm-hmm. and then had three babies in a row and quit going to meetings and taking care of myself and ended up relapsing after some surgery on some pain medicine. And so I relapsed twice, actually, and came to Mar in 2005, okay. spent seven months here. So Mar, that, I mean, and I had been going to the Mar banquet for all these years with mm-hmm. him as oh, an alum. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, Mar picnics and okay. like... Doug was at our wedding, and Gary Dyes, of course, was at our wedding. So I go way back with Mar, but not necessarily as a client until 2005. So you had stayed in—that was going to be my next question. You had stayed in—you all had stayed in contact with Mar since you left— Yes. Very yeah. much. Okay. Very Throughout much. your kids being born mm-hmm. and okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And so were you volunteering during that time or just kind of I did do some. Uh I'm, I forget the timeline, but uh I stayed connected with Mara. I, I was in I was in my three quarter way house for over two years uh-huh. and then continued going to a spiritual life group and then later on uh volunteered. They had a uh intensive outpatient program uh at night. I think it was called night step or something like okay. that. I volunteered a little bit for that for a couple years, mm-hmm. uh, but stayed connected with Mar and going to the picnics and such like that. Okay. But I just, just recently in the last year or two started volunteering again. And that's another thing that I think it's really cool about Mar, the amount of people that stay in contact and make phone calls to the counselors here afterwards. I think that's probably pretty rare, I yes. imagine, for for treatment, like that your counselors, you invited them to your wedding and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's I can't imagine that happens at a lot of places. Yeah, it's it's an exceptional st- the staff here is exceptional. I mean yeah. the the longevity, you know, you come you come back and the people that were you know, they've been here 10, 20 in Doug's case, 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you all met in recovery and, um, stayed in, you have been through Mar, you have been through somewhere else, Kathy mm-hmm. stayed in contact with the Mar staff. Mm-hmm. And then 2005, your relapse. And you said you relapsed on pain medication? On pain medicine. Okay. Yes. Um, after some surgery, because I wasn't taking care of myself. So it wasn't, properly respectful of the power of narcotics over me. Right. And I was like, I got this. I'm good. I've got all this time. Mm-hmm. It was never like, I I don't think I'm a really an alcoholic or a drug addict, right, which right. is what you hear people say sometimes. I always knew yeah. once I got here that I was definitely an alcoholic and drug addict, but it was like, I got all this time. I'll be fine. Yeah. I'm taking this pain medicine. And, you know, I have since learned I will never be fine taking pain medicine right. you know, for any reason. Right. And I need to be properly respectful and have some safeguards set up for me, which I have done since in recovery. Uh-huh. And it's worked out okay. But, you know, I just, and yeah, I was just off and running again. So I had to come back. I found that I have to be locked away for a while to get sober okay. and stay sober. Right, right. So thank God I was able to come here and have a good, strong reset for seven months. How long were you on the pain medication before you ended up checking in tomorrow? Well, my the the relapse period of time was about four years. And I actually went to Anchor in 2003 
and did two weeks at Anchor and then did like IOP and relapsed mm-hmm. again within three months. Okay. Um, which is what I was talking about needing to be locked up for yeah. a while. Okay, so gotcha. you know, doing it at home, I don't, I do not see how people just walk into AA meetings and get sober and stay right. sober. I couldn't have done it. Um, so yeah, the actual relapse period was about four, four years and I was keeping it from him. You know, it's really hard to have a successful relapse when your husband is still in the program. And so it took a lot of hiding and lying mm-hmm. and covering up and, and, uh, it was a very painful time very painful for me, for us, for our whole family, really. I mean, my kids were little, so I don't think they were too aware of what was going on. But um, when I was able to come to treatment in 05 Mm -hmm. and just be completely away from them and kind of figure out again who I am, what's important to me, because when you're a mom of young children, you lose yourself Mm -hmm. if you're not careful. And that's what I did. I just kind of let go of everything that was important to me, which one of the things was my sobriety. And I wasn't taking proper care. So my default is drunk and high. That's where I'm going to go every time if I'm not doing something to not go there. And that's what happened. What was going on for you, Richard, as you're kind of watching this happen? So I knew that she was taking a lot of pain meds, but I thought it was legit pain that she was suffering. And um, I, uh, you know, thought that what she needed i knew she was on a ton of narcs and i thought what she needed was just to get off of it and see what the baseline need was what Mm -hmm. was going on because it was a it was a very confusing time i mean i I was i was kind of a mess myself even though i was sober i i um didn't understand what was going on with kathy you know trying to compensate and um fix and make sure everything kind of stays going forward and uh that was a that was a pretty tough time but uh yeah i'm just uh you know even with the the only two weeks that the that anchor did for kathy i think it was still beneficial closer to true recovery i'm i'm glad that you're you're here because we've only had i've only done one other interview with someone who's gone through the women's center then so we need to hear more about that so that's kind of what i wanted to hear about next is your experience at the women's center so you come in and now you're so now you're coming in to richard as a in an association with mar in a different capacity as a family member totally different yeah um you're coming in as a patient so and and but you'd had some interaction with mar before then so kind of describe what that was like for both of you all that kind of change in roles well for me when i first came here there was a lot of shame because i knew gary and doug you know, from a long time of being sober and knowing them. And so that was really difficult uh, at first. But I was so grateful to be able to be here. And, you know, you asked Richard, I think, what what is it about Mar? Mm-hmm. For, for me, one of the best things about Mar is the gender specificity. You know, you get the women up there and the men down here and never the twain shall meet. And mm-hmm. that's really good because women lose themselves around men in relationships and you know it just derails women in a different way that it derails men um i think for men a lot of that has to do with physical stuff whereas women they get so much sense of who they are from their relationships and and all that stuff is so tenuous in early sobriety anyway and it's just so easy to get derailed and distracted and you know and the other thing too with women is a lot of them 
go home early because they feel like they have to be there to take care of the husband, the kids, the family, the, and they don't give themselves the full time to stay and mm-hmm. really get it. And was that something you saw a lot? I did, yes. And in the the ARP meeting where Kathy volunteers, oftentimes there's 50 men and uh, two or three, maybe five women. And and the question is, what happens? And they get pulled home. Mm -hmm. Come home and do your job. You know, you need to get home and take care of us, and Mm -hmm. all those forces that pull a woman. Whereas the man, it seems like the women are like, hey, you you take him. Mm-hmm. And keep yeah, him. Right, we don't right. want him back. Yeah, so different obstacles there's, there. there. Yeah, there's yeah. some different challenges to effective recovery. Yeah, I can't even tell you how many months I was the only woman in the Saturday morning ARP group. And that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back, because there are so few. And I usually sit there on a Saturday morning and I'll count and I'll go, okay, there's 35 men and there's three, four women. You know, I always kind of do the ratio in my head and that's why I stay. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons why I stay, because I think it is so important for them and for me to be able to represent a a strong woman in recovery in a kind of a man's group, you know, because there's, it's mostly men in there and it's a little intimidating, but, you know, I, I feel the burden of being that person who gets to come back and say, you can do this and you can stay and you can be here for a long time. And yeah, there aren't many of us, but we can still stay. What, what were all those, those things that were pulling on you. What was that like when you were a patient here? Well, my kids, you know, I, I came home from taking one of them to a movie in December of 05 with the kids and there's all these cars in my driveway and there was an intervention. You know, I was going to meetings at the time, going through the motions just to look good. And my sponsor was there, his sponsor was there, my best friend, and the kids were all down in the basement. And next thing you know, I'm gone. And the kids just really didn't even know what was going on. They were seven, eight, and ten at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult for them. And I didn't get to see them for three months. And, you know, that tears a woman up. And that's a a really easy way for women, moms especially, to get distracted from what they have to do here is, oh, my kids, what are they going to do? They're little. I need to be there. They need me. And, you know, fortunately, my adult stepdaughter was there and was able to help take care of the kids. But... You know, that's a really hard thing for a mom and for women. And then after I did go home seven months later, the middle daughter, who was eight when I left, she slept on the floor in our bedroom for uh, three or four years because she was so afraid I was just going to disappear one time. And that just killed me. And I will never forget, she said to me one time, she said, Mama, thank you for coming back. And I was like, oh, my God. And then she said, but thank you for going because she understood And that's the daughter that um, two years ago almost, she had to have her tonsils out. She's 21 now. She had to have her tonsils out. And she came to us a couple months later, and she said, I think I'm a drug addict because all I can think about is that pain medicine. She's never had a drink, never done drugs. She considers herself a recovering person because she. we've talked so much about being sober and the AA and the program, and they've gone to meetings with us. And she knew by how obsessed she was becoming she says all I want to do is take pain medicine and stay in bed and I think I have a problem and so she's been considered herself in recovery she'll be coming up on two years never had a drink or a drug and none Uh of the kids have had a drink or a drug they've kind of got like got a pack if that's all the more good we do by being sober ourselves that's amazing Mm -hmm. to me that's fabulous. That's all I could ever ask for. It was so, a remarkable time in, in our marriage and our life because um, 
I knew something was wrong. And then I got the call from a neighbor that there were some things missing and I knew, and I, um, we did an effective intervention as, as angry, uh, as I was, it still worked. We got Kathy down to, to anchor. She got an evaluation and they took her in and I was, despite my anger, I was pretty clear. Don't, don't come back. And, uh, I knew that left her one option. It was strategic. It was, um, I knew that left her one option that was go to Mar. And, uh, she saw clearly what her options were and did that. And I was really grateful. And I just, I was every step of the way, there was so much grace because Kathy kept choosing recovery. She stayed, she went to Mar. Um, she went to three quarter way house after, um, halfway house. Um, she stayed there and, uh, she got sober and came, came back with a phenomenal program. And she really hasn't let up since she still works a great program. And it's just, it saved our marriage and it saved our family. So what would you recommend to, to people that are in a similar situation? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a very difficult situation as you probably know, as an intake person, um, I would suggest, uh, calling, calling Mar, um, get some counsel of how to address this. Um, I certainly did it imperfectly, but I did it. And, uh, I had, you know, at that point, 18 years sober, I had a sponsor that I called. I think I called your sponsor, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was there. She was there. Her best friend, my sister-in-law. I mean, I had a powerful group of people Mm -hmm. assembled. She, you know, Kathy was not going to wiggle out of this with lies and, uh, minimization. I mean, she just fessed right up. I would say face reality. You're the, if, if this is where things are and you're, you're in advanced alcoholism or addiction, it ain't going to get better. Deal with that. Face the reality and things are, things are not good and people don't want to face that. I don't think, and you're risking a lot when you address this, you can't, you can't put the cows back in the barn after you start you know, talking about this stuff. And it is hard for the, for moms with kids. It just is. But there are, it doesn't have to, and that's part of the problem, part of the trap for mothers anyway, is that we think it's it can only be us, that nobody can take care of our kids except for us. And that's just not true. Um, you know, there, and some people I, I understand maybe don't have the resources or the family or anything, but probably they have more than they think they do. Mm. And it's only three months. And when you're coming in here, three months feels like forever. But it really isn't. It really is just a short amount of time. And the reality is that if they don't get sober, their kids aren't going to have them anyway. You know, it's just really hard to kind of see beyond what's right in front of your face to that part, to the down the road part. Because what's in front of your face sometimes just feels so overwhelming and impossible. And it truly is hard. I get it. It really is. Right. And we were blessed that my stepdaughter <clears throat> was able to be there to help take care of the kids. But it's a tough, tough thing. And that's, I think, why a lot of women don't make it in here. Just don't feel like they have any option for child care. I think it's important to get professional help because typically the spouse, um, the parent, the child, they're part of the problem. You know, it's a family disease, and I couldn't have done this on my own. So I was real grateful for the help I had, and, and you know, Mar took you right in within a couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. Like three, four days. 
I was down at anchor for three days detoxing and then basically went straight to Mar. So what's going on for you emotionally, like during the intervention and then the process of coming to anchor? I mean, are, is there relief? Is there... There's some relief. There's just a lot of shame, especially after having any amount of time in the program, because you just, you feel like such a failure and like you're being judged and, you know, how did I get here? And just there's all the shame that goes along with it. But you get over it. Mm -hmm. You do. That's what the steps are about. They help you to work through that. And if I truly accept that I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, then I have to accept what I mentioned earlier, that my default is always going to be drunk and high. And if I'm not doing something to keep me from going there, that's where I'm going to go every single time. You know, it's once you wrap your head around that, it's like, well, oh, of course I relapsed. I wasn't taking care of myself. What else am I going to do? You know, that's my natural state is right. drunk and high. So, of course I did. But um, so there's a lot of a lot of shame, some guilt, and the steps are to help with getting through that. Then there was just because there was so much anger coming at me. And I, I understood it on the one hand, but on the other hand, it was really difficult. And the Mar staff wouldn't let me talk to him because they didn't think that it was a good good idea. And I mm -hmm. would get letters from him and I would have to read them in groups so I would have support because there was so much anger. And I, I, I speak about that now because we have permission. This is part of our story. We've told our story together in meetings, and this is a huge part of our story and our recovery is um, I had been home for about a year and a half, and it just wasn't getting any better. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, what else does he expect me to do? I'm sober. I'm working a program. I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I can do, and he's just still coming at me with all this. And then one morning, he threw something. And I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You've got to get some help with this anger or I can't stay married to you. It's toxic for me. It's toxic for our family and our children. And and if you aren't going to go get help with this, I can't stay. And it was so scary. And we actually had started seeing, were we seeing Jim already by then? Or did we make a special appointment after that? We had a couples counselor. Basically, when we got engaged in 1990, we said, it was like, will you marry me? Yes, we better go get help. And we started <laughs> seeing a counselor right away. Yeah. And so we had off and on through all our whole marriage, we had been seeing the same counselor. And so we were at a session with him, and I was able to really tell Richard what it was like for me and for the kids. And uh, it was painful, and it was scary, and it didn't go well at first. But then he came back and and eventually said, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever. And he did. And he came to anger management here. And he went to on-site in Tennessee for a week, which is... It's an uh, intensive uh, residential program for brief um, workshop. Meanwhile, I was calling Doug and going, can't you just take him? Can't you put him in Mar for a while. And, and he was like, no, that it's not appropriate, but um, we could do something. Uh -huh. And so he worked with us to figure out, and he's the one that suggested onsite. And, you know, to Richard's credit, he has always been the kind of person that when he realizes that things are out of whack with him, he will go to his people, his, his Doug, his sponsor, his whoever is his people and say, this is what's going on with me. This is what I'm doing. What do I need to do? And they'll tell him and he'll go, okay, I'll do that. 
Well, this was this was a close one. This 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 was such toxic, deep seated anger, and I think underneath that was hurt. You know, I I felt betrayed by I I took Kathy's relapse and addiction personally. I forgot that it was a disease and that it didn't have really have anything to do with me. But there was all this rejection and all this hurt, and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, here I you know I I married her and still married and yeah and. They, but the anger was it was so addictive. And I think that this, <clears throat> if we hadn't dealt with this, I think it would have undermined our marriage and our family as surely as an addiction would. So this needed as much attention and as much intensive work as a, as a primary addiction. I mean, I've, the concept of being addiction, addicted to anger, I'd never looked at before, but that was brought to me at this time. And, uh, you know, once I got over my initial reaction to, Kathy's confrontation, it was a crisis for me. She told me what it was like to be married to me and uh, told me what the kids had said to her and what they felt like. And it was real eye-opening. It was uh, it was quite a, a crisis for me because that was not the man I wanted to be. I mm -hmm. never intended to be that guy. So I had to, you know, once again, had an opportunity to make myself over again and, you know, be reborn in a different way. And Thank God for that, because it's a whole different game now for us. Can you uh, say more about that, what that addiction is like, sure. being addicted to anger? Sure. Who wants to feel hurt? Nobody wants to feel hurt. But anger, anger's powerful. Anger's intense. And, you know, you can lash out at people and make them, you know, part of it was also, um, um, and, you know, it, closely related to that anger is this righteous indignation. These are all character defects that just were running me. And uh, I'm not the guy who relapsed. I had 18 years sober. Let's forget I was a total a-hole to my kids and my wife. I'm sober. She's the one that relapsed. And that was my MO. That was my the place that I was living out of. And that's why I made our house so miserable. I think I came from a family of angry men. And that was the one emotion that we did real well. And it was um, quite emotionally abusive household that we came up in. And I think I carried that forth. And I became, I became in some ways, my father. Mm. And uh, my father was, a, was a, a great man, but he was also very flawed. And one of the things that he did was he was quite verbally abusive. And... Uh, so it was the next stage of recovery for me. So I had to look at my role in creating the family that we had that, you know, made it so that maybe taking drugs might be an attractive thing for Kathy. I'm not saying that I'm responsible for her relapse, but we both created unintentionally an environment where both of us got real lost. And uh, I'm just, you know, it's just remarkable to me that we came back from that. And, uh, you know, 18 years sober, Mars there for me. And hopefully we won't need them in the next generation here. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that we could get some good help here if the kids ever need it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so to go back to when you check into Mar, Kathy, what was that? What did the structure of Mar provide? Because you, you had had a lot of experience with recovery, had mm -hmm. a sponsor, had been been through the steps before what was it that mar provided um 
or or that yeah that you were able to kind of see here at Mar that that you weren't able to see in the home environment. Well, the biggest thing for me was to be able to take a step away, you know, to be able to completely drop the role of being a mom because I didn't have to be responsible for those little people. You know, I didn't have to be responsible. All I had to be responsible for was myself. And I literally just kind of put my head down and said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And just slogging along, doing my assignments and just, you know, I was able to... um, distance myself enough that I could really focus on what I was doing here, which again, like I said earlier, is really hard for moms and for women in general to do. And somehow I was able to get there. Um, So for me, it was just like permission to take care of myself. Because, you know, when you we had three kids in less than three years after losing three babies in a row. So things were intense for a while there. And then you know, I somehow just got the idea that I had to be everything for the kids and do everything for the kids. And um, if I ever wanted anything for me, well, that was selfish. And you know what I'm mm-hmm, saying? And mm-hmm. and just lost myself. And so when I was here, Kendall, who was the head of the women's center at the time, she was my primary counselor after I got out of feeling school. And, and she said, well, what about just being a good enough mom instead of a perfect mom? Because there isn't a perfect mom. I was like, whoa, a good enough mom. So as long as my kids are happy and healthy and and are decent people, it doesn't matter that I don't cook meals because I really don't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, it was just a radical concept to me. And then she said, what are some things that you've lost as a result of your addiction that you would like to get back? Make a list. And I did. And the first thing was singing. I sing and, and I had quit singing and so now I'm back very active in that and and basically the message was it's okay to to do things for yourself it's okay to take time it's okay to say to the kids you know I can't do this right now because I need to do this other thing Mm -hmm. you know and because if you don't you'll lose yourself again Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of women have a hard time hearing that and really being okay with that and it just really keeps them sick and so for me that was the biggest thing that Mar gave me so what's going on for you during, when she's here? Are you meeting with the family counselor? Or? Pretty much lived in rage. I Truly, I lived in rage. Wow. I'd get these messages from her asking for some sort of thing called PA money. And I'm like, I've spent all this money on Mara. Now you want some more money and you're the one that relapsed and I'm the good uh-huh. guy. And so it was a, it was a uh, and I, you know, I'm the hero taking care of the family you know, taking care of the kids and all this. But truly, it was a very stressful time. Sure. Um, and we did have some help with my older daughter helping with the kids. And, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to Al-Anon meetings at this point. Let's see. I think I did start later that year. I think about six months after you went to Mara, I started going. But, no, the family people didn't call me. After about a month, I called Doug, and I'm like, what the is going on here? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, she's been in this place for – and he's like, oh, really? No kidding. Well, let me give him a call. And I was so angry that nobody had called me. And I think it was intentional. I He just laughs when I go ask him about that. He won't admit to anything. But I think they just let me sit in my stuff for a while. And uh, let's see. Um, I forget what happened after that. I guess Kathy came home. Right. So what, what would you... 
what advice could you give to, to family members who are in a similar situation, who are feeling the stress of their loved one not being there and the financial stress and the, you know, rage maybe? See, this is, this is a great question because uh, I, I never experienced that from that side. I was the guy doing all the wrong. I was the guy in recovery. Now I'm on the other side. And you, uh, I, what I have found is a lot of times those people have deeper-seated problems and behaviors and ways of thinking than the alcoholic. And in some ways, they're sicker. And I say we because we hang around for this stuff and we keep trying to change these people. You know, that's pretty crazy. And uh, so I would say go to the Mar family groups and go to Al-Anon. Get some help. Get some counseling. Um, it is so difficult when you have an alcoholic situation because there's such compelling situations and they're always stirring up trouble and they need so much fixing and energy that people fail to look at themselves. And I fell into that trap. I'm fine. She's the problem. Meanwhile, I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, anger was just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much stuff underneath that I hadn't dealt with. And uh, it's very difficult for somebody to come in and focus on their own stuff and admit that they're part of the problem. There's so much of an obstacle to even seeing that there's a problem because it's so much more underground or less visible than the, you know, addictive person's yeah. behavior. Yeah. So, you know, to, to continue with what he was just saying um, about what family members can do, it the main thing is to take care of themselves and look at themselves. Like, cause like he was saying so much attention is focused on the person in treatment or not in treatment, trying to get them into treatment. And, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Al-Anon, but it's basically, this is not my circus and not my monkeys. Mm-hmm. And I need to just detach with love and I can't do it for them. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. And, they they feel I think so helpless and so like what can I do I'll do anything because literally they would do anything and there just really isn't anything they can do except stay healthy themselves mm-hmm. and that's just such a hard thing it's like wait the way I'm supposed to help my family member is to not do anything for them you right know? it's like to that take care make of any, myself yeah, and, that doesn't yeah. make any sense at all right right yeah and so. I would like to hear more about your experience at the Women's Center because I imagine that that's it's we we've heard a lot more stories about men um, coming through the men's center, but I imagine mm-hmm. at the Women's Center that's a whole different a whole mm-hmm. different ball game, just with different like like you you were saying they're different presenting concerns in terms of kids and the worries of that. But I mean, what was your day to day life like when you were at the Women's Center? At the Women's Center, it's very interesting because um, a lot of women who come in don't have good relationships with women. They don't like women. They typically, you know, like, I don't I don't like being around women. I'd rather hang out with the guys. Well, you know, that's how you stay really sick is just hanging out with the guys. And really, in recovery, the way that, that women become stronger is by relying on other women and learning from other women. And if you tell a woman in early recovery, well, we would like for you to go to a woman's meeting every week. They're like, I'm not going to a women's meeting. That's stupid. But honestly, the women, the women's meetings and the women's groups where there are no men around get real. 
you know, when, when women aren't worried about how they're going to look or be perceived or, you know, anything like that, they get a lot more real. And that's why I think that the gender specific program at Mar is so incredibly helpful. I worked for a time at a few years ago at another, um, inpatient, like 35 day program that was not gender specific. And it was a mess. I mean, it was, it's a good program except for that one thing, but there was so much stuff that went on between the the men and the women being in groups together and just being at meals together and being able to talk to one another like they don't let us do here. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult Mm -hmm. um, because there's just so much crap that Mm -hmm. goes along with that. Yeah. But when you just, and I don't, I can't speak to what it's like for the men. And I really, when I'm here at the center, I try not to talk to the men much because I'm not, they're they're not supposed to talk to me. So Mm -hmm. I try not to step out of that. But um, when it's just women together, that the whole if you if you let it, if you let yourself get there with it, it's just so, I guess empowering is the word that I want. Even in the middle of being homesick and missing your kids and feeling like you're somehow not being a good mom if you're being away from your kids, it's still so empowering to be with another group of women that are like, yeah, I get that. I know what that feels like, but we're here. We got to do this. And mm-hmm. and you just come to rely on one another. Now, there are the women that don't buy in and don't, don't do the deal. And it's kind of interesting. You know, they have the mirror groups here at MAR after you get into phase two and you get to go do mirror imaging. And what that's about is not so much to be there to help the people new coming in, but so you can see your own self in the new people coming in. Right. And for me, it was so powerful to be able to see one of the women who was not getting it, was not buying in, was not, but you could just see it on them. It was like, oh, this is what I looked like when I was not willing to do the deal, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, getting my back up or whatever. This is what it looks like when you're not in surrender. You have to be in surrender to be in pro- in the program and successfully and to stay sober successfully. And it was just powerful for me to be able to look at somebody and go, oh, my gosh, I can see that. I, I see what that looks like and how that feels to be around. And that's how I was being, you know, during the, the kind of in the middle of my relapse period after the first relapse when I relapsed again and I was going to meetings and acting like I was doing it, but I really wasn't. And um, so for me, I don't know about for anybody else, but for me it was powerful to be able to just go, oh, that's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like so obvious. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the mirror imaging part because that's something else I want to ask you about being – um, a professional in the program here. If, if you could kind of speak to that in terms of the professionals program and what that provided for you in terms of treatment um, that that was unique. Well, for me, I was not working at the time because I was a stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom. And I reported myself to the Board of Nursing when I came back into treatment. And so I ended up with a consent order even though I wasn't working as a nurse. Um now, this, this won't exactly answer your question because in, in the nurses program, and I know a lot of the physicians, we, we ended up with consent orders, which basically says you have to be here and you have to go through, jump through these hoops and you have to be here for X amount of time and do drug screens and quarterly reports and, you know, all the kind of stuff, or you cannot continue to be a nurse, doctor, or whatever it is. 
And so they kind of get you over a barrel, which if that's how you get here, that's good enough. You mm-hmm. know, however you get here, if you're doing it for somebody else, if you're doing it for a job, that's fine as long as it gets you here. And then hopefully you'll stay long enough to where you want to do it for yourself. Um, and so in the professionals program, you end up with a lot of, of um, oh, there's a bunch of stuff. One of the things is you defocus on your license. What do I got to do? Is this going to be, do I have to report to the board? What are they going to say? I'm going to lose my job. You know, and that takes you away from the work of recovery. And so I've been volunteering in there for a long time and I see that with pretty much everybody that comes through they have to go they have to spin out for a little while about that and then they can kind of pull them back and go okay yeah that's all going to work out believe it or not but in the meantime what are you doing what step are you on are you going to meetings because that's the basis of Mm -hmm. all this and if you don't do any of this you're not going to have any of that Mm -hmm. when you get out and so you see that played out over and over again too um I love that the board puts consent orders on people because it keeps them here. The the other piece of it that I'm curious about is what happens specifically in the professionals group that's unique to professionals. One of the big things is people come in here with kind of this identity of I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a healthcare professional. How could I have done what I did? And there's a lot of shame with that. And you get into a room and Doug is big on this, you know, he'll say, who else in here has ever whatever fill in the blank, you know, and almost all the hands go up and everybody, the new guy's like, oh, okay. You know, so it kind of takes away the power a little bit of the shame of what, what I've done. And, uh, that's a really powerful thing to be able to see, you know, I'm just like any other drug addict nurse Mm -hmm. that stole pain, pain medicine. You know, there was so much shame for me for that, that, in order to feed my drug addiction, now this was back in the 80s, in order for me to feed my drug addiction, I took pain medicine from my patients that had had surgery. That's a really horrific thing to have to accept about yourself, mm. you know? But being able to be in the professionals program enables you, because most of them have done something similar or, or practiced medicine under the influence in some form or another. And it kind of takes away the power of some of that shame and guilt. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, so other people do this. It's not just me. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's great. I Yeah, I hadn't really heard that before, but that makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. You, you probably, a lot of people come in probably thinking, oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Doctor, yes. nurse, insert, whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That of course, makes... the flip side of that is I'm a doctor. I know all this stuff. You can't teach me anything. Yeah. You know, we see that a lot too. And that's just a whole nother, another uh, facet of, I think the fear underneath. It's kind of like, oh my gosh. And what Doug will say to people is like, how did a nice guy like you end up in a place like this? You know? And, and that's kind of that fear. It just comes out sideways. You can't tell me anything. I'm a doctor. I have all these degrees and, you know, and you got to kind of work through that right, to right. get back to the, no, this is the basis of it. And it's the same for everybody, no mm-hmm. matter who you are or what you do. So what, what's your involvement look like, Richard, since, so you, you came through as a client, then you were a family member, um, in 2005, uh, And what's your involvement been since then? About a year and a half or so ago, I started volunteering in uh, Dr. Melton's family group. And um, when Kathy was at Mar, I started there as a uh, as a family member, as a 
a client for that group. And I uh, was there for about a year, year and a half or so, and started going to Al-Anon regularly. And so um, I returned about a year and a half ago as a, as a volunteer. So as a recovering person and a person who's been in that group before as a family member, it's, uh, so I guess I'm dual purpose volunteer. Right, right. So what's that like being on the other side of that, being a volunteer now versus being somebody there to, to get help? It's, it's sometimes uh, frustrating uh, because people do not see how codependent they are. And again, they, it's, they, they're so focused on their addicted child or their, and I just want to tell them, live, figure out what living is for you and do that instead of focusing on these, these folks, these people. But it's, it's a complicated process to how to figure out how to be in relationship with people that, with this disease. You, you can't divorce a child, you know, and so that I think is a particularly difficult situation. So um, there's a lot of wisdom in there. You know, we start, uh, you know, some of those folks in that group have been there for years and uh, they've gotten a lot of uh, a lot healthier in their boundaries and don't care, take people as much. And, uh, you know, Dr. Melton has got a lot of wisdom about relationships and family. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 at this point, I'm actually considering maybe volunteering in a different capacity, maybe over in the professionals group. So this is the last question I usually ask people. You could pass on something that you've learned from your experience at Mar. What would it be? I'd say trust them. Trust them. They're trustworthy folks. The staff. The staff. Yeah. They're. Um, I don't. I. I don't know many other people in treatment centers, um, but I do know people individually that work in treatment and. I, I think the Mar staff is is uh, a unique group of people. They're obviously not here for the income. They're here for a higher purpose. And uh, I'd say take the risk of trusting them. Just like in your 12-step programs, you're trusting your sponsor. You're trusting the program's going to work. You're going to – you're buying in. and um, And it's only through – trust and self-revelation that you're going to heal, that you're going to get better because you got to get honest about what's going on in your life. And we come from places, we addicts and alcoholics, where trust is is absent in all our relationships or most of them. That's a good answer. And I agree with that too. And, and, you know, trust the staff, trust the process and just do what they tell you to do. You know, as a, as a person who was here for seven months and I would see all the rule breaking and all the little ways people were trying to fight it and buck it. And I just would say, just do it. Just mm -hmm. you don't have to understand it. You don't have to like it. You don't even really have to believe it. But you got to trust the process enough to go, OK, fine. If you're going to tell me to do this, I'll do it. And that's really all you got to do to stay sober, too, in the program. You know, if your sponsor tells you, just do it. Yeah. You know, and because why are you there asking them if you aren't going to be willing to do what they suggest? You know, this is not a cheap place to be. This is three months out of your life. Why would you not do as much of it as they tell you to do? And I can't even tell you how much rule breaking and sneaking around and trying to get around this. And there's, well, I don't understand why they want us to do this. It doesn't make any sense. I don't care. Just do it. You know, so I would say that. And then I would also say stay connected tomorrow. You see people coming back to the banquets and to the picnics and, you know, the people who live in the area who still come back and volunteer in some capacity or other. 
and you know as we both do and that's just been so huge for me in my journey because I'm very still very active still in the mar community and and I I get a lot of joy out of that and and it just keeps me close to my roots it's it's really wonderful that I can that they let me do this that's that's a good point stay it's kind of like staying grounded I mean mm-hmm. I I've been going to meetings uh you know for over 31 years now um and usually pretty regularly and uh but still, I enjoy staying connected to Doug. And I've even reached out to Boyd Whaley a few times, who left Mar 20-some-odd years ago. Um, those connections are important to me. It's like family. He's the mm-hmm. one who did our wedding, by the way. Oh, Boyd wow. Boyd Whaley, yeah. Wow. And you, I asked him about his volunteering. You volunteer two, two groups a week? Yeah, Saturday. I do the Tuesday, the first Tuesday night group, and then after that I go sing in my chorus. But I do the first Tuesday night group and the Saturday morning group, and I've been doing those ever since I came here in 05. That's great. And I I think that's a, both of you are such a great example of, like, you know, you're, when, you, when you come through MAR, you're getting a lot more than just that three months or however long mm-hmm. you stay in the extended care. Um, you, it's like a, it's a, it's a family thing mm-hmm. that you, oh, you, you can stay involved in as, for as long as you want. Um, and kind of to the degree that you, you want to be, um, and you'll see thing. people coming back years and years later and you'll see the change in their life and you'll, you'll ask how their kids are. And it, it's just amazing because you guys are in the business of changing life trajectories. You know, that's, that's what, that's what they did for me is my life was going in this direction. They helped me go into a completely different trajectory and you end up at completely different places. And that's, I mean, I'd probably be dead or certainly alone, which is my idea of hell is mm-hmm. being alone. And that's where I was. That's where I started out. And I'm not, I'm hardly alone now. A very rich life. Very connected. Yes. That was great. Thank you both yeah. so much for doing this. This has been really great. I'm looking oh, forward to it. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're, we're very honored to be able to give back like this. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you want to stay in contact with us, you can look for us on Facebook and Twitter. We also have a lot of free resources, videos, and articles on our website about the disease of addiction, how it affects families, and other topics related to treatment. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.